momentous Saturday as uh, just there's been a ton going on all week and UAW workers on strike yesterday put a new wrinkle in everything. Glad you're here. Great to be with you. I'm Randy Tober. Leah Omstead on board over there making sure that everything works well in the uh, tech realm uh, with this new uh, streaming online and, uh, and the cameras working and everything. We uh, we uh, we depend on Leah to get that done every week, and uh, we're we're thankful you're here. It's dark outside. Hope the coffee cup is full. We have a big show for you <clears throat> as you wake up with uh, the sun. We've got uh, Joe Allen uh, talking about artificial intelligence. Joe has a lot of followers on uh, Twitter. I I can't I just can't get into calling it X. I don't know what I'm ever going to change. Um, Joe Allen will be with us at seven twenty five to talk about. Uh, how artificial intelligence is already inserting itself into our lives. The good, the bad, I think maybe the mostly ugly, unless we harness this puppy. But we'll see what Joe has to say. Uh, we'll talk with Kaylin Dorr, former CMO of the Trump campaign in 2020, about uh, the uh, fate of TikTok on our universities. And um, in our schools, uh, some stuff going on that I didn't know about. I'm going to run by our guest at the 825 slot. Uh there's an organization that's been leading the charge against diversity, equity, and inclusion, the DEI regime. Uh, it is a, uh, it's an onslaught on our kids' sensibilities, indoctrination instead of education. And Sharice Trump, the director of Speech First, joins us then. Uh, we'll be covering the topics, of course, of the day. We do every week. That's what we do here in the program. 312 314-912-1019, 314-912-1019, the number, uh, if you'd like to join in on the program. Um, of course, this week we saw Hunter Biden get indicted on what I think was uh, a poke in the eyes to everyday Americans like you and me who are still reeling from uh, the the charade that the administration tried to pull to the DOJ through the um, the failed indictment on tax charges and diversion on gun charges seven weeks ago. We'll unpack that for you. The GOP, of course, um, looking at another, um, they may be looking at a, a turnaround, a switch in the impeachment inquiry and what that means politically for them. And I'll explain why. Uh, in just a minute, illegal immigration embarrassingly out of control. However, we have um, some New Yorkers that are upset, and I mean capital U-P-S-E-T, uh, upset over what's going on. Some outrageous uh, 
um, press conference the other day by uh, the well, one of the members of the squad and uh, a smackdown by New York City uh, residents. And um, Washington University here in town uh, announced this last week that uh, they will be stopping all all puberty blocker transition therapy. Of course, in response to uh, the the law that was passed in the General Assembly last year, they uh, have even extended beyond their obligations according to that law. And I think a lot of it has to do with the pressure, the pressure that people like you and me and others have put on uh, on them because I think they hear our voices. Certainly, they read the social media. They're not uh, they're not oblivious to what's going on around them uh well often they are but i think in this case the um the hue and cry has been has been just uh outrageous but let's start with this federal judge that blocked thank god for judges these days at least some sensible judges they're not all sensible i can tell you that from personal experience but uh <laughs> and uh, knowledge of some some uh, you know cases i'm aware of uh, uh in our in our own state here uh, but uh, some some federal judges at least are doing the right thing. They're halting the New Mexico uh, federal judge blocked the New Mexico governor's suspension, which was an outrageous uh, power play. Uh, remember when uh, New, Me- New Mexico Governor Grisham had tried to halt uh, in and around the Albuquerque area uh, because of, a, I guess, a young person was was killed with a gun incident. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, we're going to ban guns, according to Judge Grisham. Right. And um, of course, it met with a lot of opposition, a lot of pushback, including the sheriff of the county there. Uh, The local law enforcement officials and police departments said we're not going to uphold it. Uh, Even, you know, I mean, prominent Democrats are saying, whoa, this is an abridgment of people's Second Amendment rights. But um, the judge uh, did the right thing. And uh, this judge um, was. Judge David Urias was appointed by Joe Biden, which I think is even a stronger indictment against Governor Grisham's suspension of gun carry laws in Albuquerque and around those areas. Um, It said that uh, the order from the judge uh, applies to Section 1 and Section 4 of the public health order. Uh, They just want the right to carry their guns, he said, of the plaintiffs who uh, had filed the lawsuit. Uh, Section one of that executive order, it said no person other than a law enforcement order or licensed security officer shall possess a firearm um, uh, within cities or counties averaging a thousand or more violent crimes. So this is the way laws often are written. And even here in Missouri, sometimes we've talked about it before with uh, folks from the Show Me Institute, for instance. Uh, In this case, it was about, you know, a a law enforcement issue and a, and a, a, a constitutional uh, issue, but sometimes the statutes, when the legislature passes them, it'll say uh, there's going to be a, sp- a specific grant for uh, municipalities and cities with uh, populations greater than ten thousand and less than ten thousand and fifty, and and you know that implies to like one locale, so that someone can get a tax credit or someone can get a uh, you know some kind of an eminent domain thing you know what it is they, they do this and it, it infuriates me because it's a way instead of just naming the city and the area you're worried about they do this kind of shenanigans so that the the, the terms of where the what the law applies to in this case the executive order uh it it's so restrictive in its definition that you know it only applies to one particular jurisdiction in this case it's new mexico and i think that kind of a thing i'm gonna i'm gonna take a detour here 
That kind of a thing, I think, infuriates me. I don't know if it infuriates you, but I, I am tired of politicians trying to pull the wool over our eyes, being disingenuous with us. And, and trust me, I just got done saying this happens in Missouri. Republican legislators, you explain to me why you can't just say, we want a special carve out for some either grant or some restriction or some tax credit for Springfield, Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri, uh, uh, Florissant, Sunset Hills. I mean, wh why don't you just say it? Why do you make these definitions and namby-pamby around what you're trying to do? Just be honest with the people. This is why you, people are going to get thumped. You politicians that may be listening. I would rather have you tell me, look, I'm a Republican politician. I'm good. I am for strong borders. I am for law and order. I am for X, Y, Z. And I am for a six-week ban, not a total ban. And I'm just giving you an example here, an example, and a, a hypothetical way that a conservative politician, for instance, may speak to the base. I am for 90% of what the farthest, uh, uh, the most ardent pro-life, absolute idealist, uh, uh, absolutist of you are. But because I'm worried in this case, and this is maybe not going to be so hypothetical, that the other side who are so energized and so fired up by an absolute ban that they're going to get big money in here. We're going to get an initiative petition and it'll be in the constitution that you could have an abortion up into the, the moment of birth i am taking a more moderating realistic incremental step trying to save as many babies lives as we can rather than lose more babies lives than if we had a six-week abortion limit and that's where i stand just be honest with me and then i as a republican voter or as a conservative voter i say well i gotta think this through i mean you know and but i respect you thank you politician for being honest with me and being willing to take the heat. You know, no wonder people don't have honor for most politicians. No wonder people don't even, these days, are getting where we don't even respect politicians much. And I'm not talking for the likes of Nick Schroer, uh, who you hear on this station, because Nick calls it the way he sees it. You know where Nick stands. I disagree with some things on Nick. We've talked about it. I'm, I'm in with Nick on 95% of things. There may be one or two things I disagree with, but I honor the fact that I know where he stands. Just like I honor the fact I, I honor as a politician from a political sense, mostly the people like Dennis Kucinich, the people like even Bernie Sanders. Okay, you know where they stand. They're not blowing smoke up your rear. And, 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 you know, and then of course, then we pivot to Joe Biden. Oh my gosh, Joe Biden. Um, Leah, how many clips do we have of Joe Biden and his incompetence and his absolute utter inability to perform, much less tell a truth? I mean, I, I can't even tell you how many I have for you this morning. Let's get started on one of those right now. Um, here is, uh, here is uh, Ben Carson. This is number two. Ben Carson on Joe Biden's brain. Now, this is a neurosurgeon, Dr. Ben Carson. You all know him. Ran for president. And, you know, 
made made quite a name for himself being the HHS secretary for uh, for Donald Trump. Uh, here, here he is. Take a listen to Ben Carson on Joe Biden. Do you have any observations based on your scientific background? I mean, what's going on potentially with his brain? I know you haven't examined him, but what are your thoughts uh, about how well, he's it's doing? Pre- it's pretty obvious that he's suffering from significant cognitive decline. And uh, we see that often in aging. There's no shame in that. That happens to a lot of people. The shame is in trying to cover it up. There you go. I mean, this is the problem. You have politicians, and sadly, the higher we go in in the on the on the political ladder, which is itself, I could do a whole monologue on that. Leah, should I do a whole monologue on that? I no, mean, no. What what is is in this country is the higher ladder, Washington D.C. Uh, ask the founding fathers. I think they would tell you no. I absolutely believe if a founding father, if George Washington was standing here listening today, a guest in the studio, and you said, uh, hey, George, what's the higher, most important, most importanter? I don't think I would say it that way, though. What's the uh, what's really the most uh, fundamentally important and high? and high impact uh, role. Is it someone at the local level, the state level, let's say, or the federal level? I think George would tap on his, he'd scratch his powder wig and he'd say, oh, no, 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 no. This is all about decentralizing government. That's what this beautiful genius experiment was all about. It's not about us. We, 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 we farm our tobacco farms. We, uh, we have our general stores where our we're bankers and then we go and we do our, our job in Washington, D.C. for the common defense borders, a common currency uh, laws uh, that are you know generally applicable that states can't do on their own that you need a federal government for postal roads, you know, those 18 enumerated powers. Oh, no, no, no. The most important thing is the local and state uh, legislators. That's that's where the people rule. And that's where self-governance resides. Those are the important people. But anyway. In modern America, where all power is being increasingly concentrated in D.C. and the surrounding counties where all the lobbyists live, that's and, and more lawyers in D.C. per capita than any other place in the world. Um, what and, and this is not against lawyers. This is a, this is about the fact that uh, lawyers sometimes are too smart for their britches and they they get too involved in technical matters instead of common sense, right and wrong and uh, protecting the victims and um, you know, uh, and and then de- unprotecting the uh, the the innocent. That's another issue. Uh, but anyway, you, as you climb the ladder, you find more disingenuity. You find more lies. You find more because they're trying to trying to please too many people. Trying to please everyone in in St. Louis, Missouri, and in New York City. <clears throat> Those two cities. Well, increasingly, they are sadly the same in terms of the exact inner city. They have the same problems, cultural problems. But you can't make the same rules for a New York City resident or St. Louis resident as you can for, let's say, outstate Missouri or Nebraska or Iowa or Arkansas is different. But as these people have to try to please everyone, they have to try to pull the wool over everyone's eyes at the same time, which means they lie. It's all they do is they lie. Over and over and over again, Joe Biden did it. And now he's demented on top of it, or at least he appears to have major cognitive decline. So you don't even know if he's lying or if he's delusional, if he believes the lies. 
We're in a world of hurt. And oh yeah, did I tell you about the UAW strike and the impact of that? We'll talk about that when we come back. 314-912-1019. The inflation is not over. I'll talk about that when we come back. 314-912-1019 if you want to join the show on 1019-941 News Talk STL. I'm Randy Tober. We'll be back. So this United Auto Workers strike is going to hurt all of us. It is something that I think the Biden administration wanted. I think it is the reason, one of the many reasons and the ultimate goal of their insane, along with their sycophants and their accomplices. I use the word accomplice because that's sort of that criminal, you know, there's that criminal um, commutation with that. They're accomplices in the likes of California that, you know, is mandating a 100% EVs in, what, less than 10 years. Well, heck, the government itself, I mean, Joe Biden with his electric vehicle mandate has mandated that uh, a majority of the vehicles by 2032 made in this country should should be electric vehicles. The automakers lose money on EVs. It takes fewer workers to make an EV than it does a fossil fuel powered automobile or vehicle. And so, of course, being strategic and long range thinkers like good leaders should be. They're having to be cautious about the kind of raise they give to an out of control United Auto Workers Union. I'm sorry if you work for the United Auto Workers, I hope you call me. I mean, if you are a union member and you work for one of the big three and you're on strike, call me. Let's have a discussion. I understand the plight of the worker these days more than any. Oh, yeah. If I told you how sympathetic I am to the plight of the worker, you wouldn't believe it. I'm very sympathetic, personally aware of that. However, to ask for a 36% raise, a return to health benefits that were lost for some because of the very existential crisis that existed uh, and for new uh, and a four hour a four day work week hello how do you manufacture cars on a four day work week at 36% higher wages over what three years when you're competing with the likes of Elon Musk, who runs a non-union shop. So if you're a current worker, and I guess you're looking out day to day and check to check, I understand that. You probably say, hey, I'm going to get what I can get now and we'll worry about the rest in the future. Well, but that's your argument. If there is to be an auto industry, if there is to be a future for the auto industry, you've got to make sure you anticipate what's going on. And the Biden administration baked it in the cake on two counts, three counts. <clears throat> Count one, the, the the crazy rush to 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 electric vehicles. Way ahead of when the technology is ready, way ahead of when the, the grid is ready. We don't have neither, either the power production nor the distribution of it including the transmission lines and all the way to the the thing that looks like a gas uh, pump filler, but it's actually a charger. 
Not even close yet. And the subsidies that taxpayers are giving to people to build battery plants and make electric vehicles, it's a farce. So that's count one. You're looking at a time, if you're an automaker, where you're going to be hiring fewer auto workers. And if you're going to have all these pumped up promises for pension and you're not going to have current auto workers paying for them, it essentially the government is mandating for the automakers what they've mandated and what is getting them in trouble when it comes to Social Security. It's an upside down pyramid. It's top heavy on the recipients of the benefits being funded by the current workers. And that's what the you and what the management is looking towards. It's like, guys, we can't make all these promises for you people now. And in 10, 15 years, five, 10 years, when we have fewer workers and the margins are smaller, they're still losing money. Remember, I said that they lose money on electric vehicles. Then you know, how's it all going to work out? We won't be able to fund the promises we make. Then you'll be suing us then wanting damages and penalties. <clears throat> course some auto workers don't want to hear that count two why this is a biden homebrewed crisis and the first time that the uaw has struck all three all three manufacturers at one time count two on day one and ever since joe biden has made his assault on the fossil fuel industry and our accessible, affordable energy in this country. It started with canceling Keystone on day one, uh, just last week. I guess it was, yeah, not this past, but the week before. Arbitrarily canceling the this very small postage stamp on a football field, relatively speaking, size of uh, drilling in Anwar. Just pulled those leases, which would have probably been very productive leases. Oh, but we still have tens of thousands of leases out there. Well, yeah, yeah. Give them a give them a lease on a patch of non-productive or very unlikely to be productive, or if productive, expensive to produce ground. You know, somewhere. Uh, you know, out in you know, uh, out in uh, town and country or, or Troy or wherever. I mean, really, don't don't give us that smoke and mirrors. We're smarter than that, Joe and Kareen and Klobuchar and Grand. I know it's Grand Home, isn't Grand Home to you know, really, it's grand home. Next. So that raised prices. That contributed to inflation. You saw that the inflation number went up just when it's the last reported. Why? It was almost solely due to cost of energy. We're buying energy on borrowed money from producers abroad, and they're laughing at us. So inflation's gone up, fueling the demand for higher wages on the part of the UAW and others. We saw it with with uh, UPS. You know, we've seen it with others along the way. The railroad people, I don't blame them. If my, if my cost of living's going up 8 9% as it was during those negotiations, and remember, that compounds over time, even if the next year, as currently it's down around 4%, well, okay, that's on top of the 9%. That 9% didn't go away. It's 4% on top of the 9%. Ask Eric Robert and Bob Stockdale. They'll be on at 9 o'clock. You call them and you ask them if I'm wrong. That stuff essentially compounds. So the UAW is looking at higher prices. Thanks, Joe. 
And before them, thank you, Donald Trump, and thank you, you Republican politicians. Yes. You didn't get it right, guys. You shut us down. You felt obligated to give us money, and you gave us money willy-nilly, even for people that were able to work at home, businesses that stayed open. Some businesses prospered because of your one-size-fits-all, inane, hysterical, reactive reaction to the epidemic, the pandemic. And, and yes, you Republican legislators and you Democrat legislators and Joe Biden, you even more because you piled on when the economy was recovering. But let's not. Hey, folks, let's not let our Republican legislators escape without some culpability. Hold their feet to the fire. Blaine, Sam, uh, uh, Roy, Josh, we love you guys, but you got it wrong there. Look at the graft and corruption. There's hundreds of billions of dollars that now the DOJ is having to prosecute and Treasury's trying to claw some of that money back. All of the fraud and abuse because you open the floodgates for it. You gripe about elections that are fixed because of rules that were weird in various states. Well, you guys did the same thing on the financial side because you overreacted. You didn't take a deep, deep breath. You didn't think wisely. You thought politically. Donald Trump, I hold you responsible for the inflation, too. Oh, but if you're a Trumper, if you're a MAGA, oh, Trump could do no wrong. Well, he did a lot wrong. Everything was reactive. We don't have honest, clear-minded Americans can take care of themselves, thank you very much, leaders anymore. Where are you? Please, where are you? Why do I go on these detours, Leah? I got on the detour there. <clears throat> okay. Count one on why the UAW is asking for outlandish terms and why they went on strike. Count one, the push for EV, not realizing and not wanting to recognize that it was Joe Biden, the people they vote for and who some of their union do support, made a mandate for EVs which is going to make an upside-down entitlement pyramid if all of their demands now are, were, are, are obligate on the manufacturers 10 years from now when the world looks different, there's fewer workers, and who's producing the money to pay for the enhanced pension, and they want to return back to defined benefit pension plans. Hey guys, you just there won't be anyone there to support it, even if they gave it to you now. The only thing that you'd gain from a new contract is the increased wages, but the promises, promises, promises for back to a defined benefit plan and rich health, those Cadillac health plan benefits. Who's going to pay for it? Thanks, Joe. And then Joe and the Republicans and the Democrats and the money falling from the skies like manna from heaven in the old book, in the good old book. Of course, you're asking for inflationary increases uh, to keep up with inflation and your wages. And then there's count three, which is, of course, the, 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 the fossil fuel thing that's contributed to inflation. So you have the inflationary pressures. You have the EV mandates. And, and here we are. And what's going to happen for you who are not and me who are not UAW workers and yes, the UAW workers, too. This is called the labor inflation spiral. This is part of what's driving the problem why they can't get inflation under control. It's, it's a vicious, a very vicious cycle. 
hey, I see my wage, I see my uh, cost of bread and milk and eggs and gasoline and everything else, clothes for the kids going up. Every time I call a serviceman to work on my HVAC, it's like, why Why is it 50 bucks more this year than last year? Well, my costs have gone up. My labor costs, which are the, the biggest costs in any organization. You know it if you manage or lead an organization. You should know it if you are employed by an organization. You're part of the biggest cost for an organization. So when you get that cost raise, that's going to be passed on. And other industries and other workers, your neighbor next door who works for some industry that you need or you buy their goods, that's going to go up. And it's a vicious cycle. It's going to happen. And so you're going to see the cost of cars go up. The Wall Street Journal said it just what, within the last 12 hours in something they published. You're going to see it across the industry. And forget, don't forget that for every UAW worker that goes on strike, there's what, 10 or 20 or how many is it? There's a large number of workers to support the industry. They're going to be shut down. Th those inventories are going to grow. We're going to have a supply chain crisis when things open back up. And then what happens? More inflation, not because of, in addition to labor costs. I'm not an economist, but you can get the picture here. You can get, I'm, I think I'm pretty close. Ask Bob, ask Ask Eric when they're on in just a couple hours. This doesn't bode well. This isn't just about the UAW. This is this is going to have ripple effects for the entire economy. And why? Thanks, Joe. That should be the rallying cry of everyone listening to this program. Every time you see something that, that just makes you mad as a hornet in the economy. Thanks, Joe. Tweet it out. Put it on Facebook. Take a picture of the gas pump. Take a picture of a dozen eggs that cost whatever a dozen eggs cost. However, you're getting gored by whatever service or good that's costing you. Thanks, Joe. Maybe we should expand that to thanks, Washington, D.C. politician. Thanks for you power hungry people that want to concentrate your power in D.C. And I'm not saying anything. I'm not. Look, I'm glad we have Republican. I'm glad we have Blaine and Sam and Josh. But let's let's hold their feet to the fire, too. Because way too often they're com they're complicit with the very fundamental roots of what we have. It's going to take courage for real statesman leaders to say enough. And we're on the precipice of that. In two weeks, we're looking at a government issue here, a government shutdown. And I think it's time that the Republicans in the proper way communicate in the proper time and have a proper stance and say enough. Yes, we're going to shut it down. And and Joe, if you want us to 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 approve some uh, omnibus spending bill or whatever spending bill we need to keep the government going, open up Keystone, open up Anwar, stop the EV mandate. Yeah, we can have that discussion, Joe, and we're going to have it on the Capitol steps, open to the public. None of this behind the behind. That's what I want to see. I want to see open to the public discussions. How about that? How about that for a rallying cry? News Talk STO folks. I got a pit in my stomach. I think it's an ulcer starting, Lee. I better take a sidestep here. Get some Pepto-Bismol or something. All right. 314-912-1019. The UAW strike. Are the workers right? Is management right? Are both of them a little wrong or a lot wrong? Let me know. Give me a buzz. 314-912-1019. News Talk STL. We'll be back. Okay, so look guys, 
I have a conscience and I have a check on myself and it's a little bit of self-awareness. And I don't want you guys to think that I thought during the break, well, hey, I don't want the UAW workers out there and union guys and gals to think that I'm just like totally anti-union. You guys shouldn't get a raise. That's not the point. That's not the point. You guys should get a raise. I believe that we do have a problem with an increasing widening Grand Canyon size gap in many places between management and worker. I get that. I absolutely get that. When I've led, I've worked hard to try to reduce that gap. That said, that said, um, if you over push, sometimes you get less than what you thought. You know, the enemy of better is best. Sometimes there's times when only best will do. Like if Gene, who's on the line, is doing my respiratory therapy someday, only the best will do. That's when the enemy of best is better because you want the best. And that's what Gene, the respiratory therapist, delivers. But when it comes to negotiation, sometimes the enemy of best, better is, uh, uh, is best because you, you overshoot, you create animosity, and then people just walk away and say, fooey, I'm done. Hey, think about it. Those leaders in the in the auto industry, uh, they got a pretty good padding in their retirement accounts, guys. They can just go and say, the heck with you guys. I can't deal with the government. I can't deal with an unreasonable UAE, UAW. I'm out of here. What say you, Gene Gene, the dancing machine? How you doing? Good morning. Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking my phone call. Um, and an mm-hmm. overarching thing, I was at the uh, Judge Ginsburg talk on the Constitution last night. I'm going to tie this in. But uh, he had mentioned figures in the 45-ish percent range of the populace that have no clue about the Constitution. They can't even name the three branches of government. And out of them, 25% can't name one of them. That branch is over. Wait a minute, Gene, Gene, you made a mistake. Gene. Yes. You made a mistake. We have four branches of government. I'm kidding you. You know that. But no, we have four well, branches of government. There's that. You know, if you take the Constitution, I've asked you to do this, Gene, and I think you've done, done it. I, please go home and do it today. If you take the parchment, the original parchment of the Constitution, like the Nicolas Cage movie, you know, and if you yes. put lemon oil, put, put some lemon juice on it and then flame it, there's that there's that extra article in there that authorizes that fourth branch of government called the permanent bureaucracy, which will bring this country down. But go ahead. I take a detour. That's true. No, that was discussed, too. But anyway, that goes back to Limbaugh's saying uh, the low information voter. Unfortunately, there's so many of these people out there until it really kicks them in the backside in their own home. They're not going to wake up on the auto workers thing. What's going to They've got, uh, from what I understand, a couple of days ago, they've got probably about 800 and some odd million dollars in their strike fund that could pay for all of their workers to be on strike across the country for about three months. What's going to happen if they get even part of what they want? Consumers not going to buy those products. They're going to go look at Toyota BMW, the factories that are producing cars down south and the market's going to kick on the butt. Then they're going to be out of work, laid off because their production's down. They don't get it. Yep. Instead of voting for sound fiscal and monetary policies, uh, 
for for you know they continue to vote for Democrats who continue to make the demand for their outrageous uh, increases, and they're they're essentially slitting their own throats with their votes, gradually, right, well, that- incrementally. They're bringing the auto industry and in, in those union shops to a to a screeching halt eventually. Well, that's right. And who's supporting the EVs? The same people that they're voting for. It's like when are the all of those people going to wake up? And I say all pejoratively, not just the auto workers. And you know, yeah. I had been in union myself and everything. That's a whole another conversation for a different day. But. Uh, We've got a big time problem and it's going to hurt. Like you justly said, a lot of people way across the board, we're going to be in a vicious circle, I think, for a long time. I think uh, I, I'm really worried about this, this country. I, I, I tell you, Gene, I just, um, I, I don't see cooler heads. I don't see humble heads prevailing. I see a lot of bravado, a lot of, um, a lot of uh, there's no mirrors in anyone's room, apparently, more in any of these negotiating rooms or, you know, in anyone's bedroom anymore or, or whatever. People aren't looking into the mirror and saying, well, am I a part of the problem? What can I do to make a difference? And and like you said at the top, this starts with the votes we take with the people we the, the people that we've led in the concern that we voted for in the conservative movement that continue to just basically tell us we can do big government better. Right. Because when it comes to agriculture land and all this is going to get me in trouble here in the heartland, the biggest welfare program in America is the United States Department of Agriculture. Bar none. And who endorses most of those policies? Republican senators and legislators uh, representatives. It's all a shell game. We pay people and we we give them insurance if it rains. We don't. There's all kinds of support and well, we have, well, okay. Now we're now we're overproducing in the goods and services because we're subsidizing all the crops. By the way, most of which are not healthy for you. Um, they're high calorie, low nutrition, and then we've got to find what are we going to do with all that high calorie, no nutrition stuff that we're paying people to grow? Oh, well, we better give it to moms who are pregnant. We better give it to WIC people and, and uh, 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 you know, uh, food stamp people. And then they're unhealthy. Oh, then we got to give them health care. I mean, it is just unbelievable. It so is. we've got to start and- taking, we got to start taking no hostages. I, any, any, politician that says i'm trying to make your life better unless that's followed with by taking away my power from you i'm not voting for that guy and i'm going to call him out and i'm going to say what are you talking about you cannot make my life better only oh, I, I, I and my community can i agree and this, another thing if you knock <clears throat> the supports out of underneath from the EVs and the solar panels that fall on their face because they can't stand on their own feet on the market. And the government shouldn't be putting up charging stations. Yep. What ha- what happened when the cars came about? First gas stations start, started out in St. Louis with a couple of black guys that started up a gas station and all of a sudden the market demand took off private industry started all the gas stations. Where's the private industry with all the stupid EV chargers? You're right, man. And 
and let's not forget another component of this inflationary spiral. So Joe starts a war in Ukraine because he doesn't show a stiff spine and he, you know, basically invites Putin in like, well, a minor incursion, no big deal. Okay. And then he puts an embargo on. Russia sells their oil cheaply to China. China uses all the oil. The market is going up because of China and India laughing about EV and E this and E that and solar this. They're just they're just burning coal and oil like it's going out of style, which raises the global price of oil. Thanks, Joe. And then and then we've got to use borrowed money to pay for the oil while at the same time we're paying them outrageous prices for the batteries that come from China and the technology and some of the components and we're borrowing money to pay for that. I mean, this is insanity. This is, is. insane. It is. Right. I could take up Thanks. a whole other segment you. on the China thing. <laughs> yeah. China, China, China. All right. Thank you, Gene. That's right. Appreciate you very much. Appreciate the call. You bet. All right. When we Have come me. back. Um, all right. Yeah. Uh, when we come back, um, we're going to talk uh, about Kamala Harris. And maybe the next. Uh, is she the next nominee for uh for President of the United States? Wow, that would be a frightening thing, won't we? We'll talk about that and the politics of this 2024 election cycle next hour and some AI talk and Virginia Crudo. We'll be back. A beautiful, a beautiful weekend uh, ahead. So that's good. Second hour of the show on what should be a beautiful opening to a beautiful weekend. Glad you're waking up with us. I have to apologize. My wife said you have to apologize. Leah, my wife said I have to apologize. You know, she listens to the show. What'd you do? I said, why do I have to apologize? Everything's been perfect. Absolutely spot on. I was talking about humility. Uh, Look at how perfect I was. I'm kidding you, of course. She said, no, it's not about that. She said, your facts are right, but you sound depressed. I said, no, I'm not depressed. I'm angry. This country has so much capability. This country is losing its luster. And it's not because of our Constitution. It's because, in fact, we're veering away from our Constitution. And we're we're at so many levels, I think, listening to our inner primal, wait for it, all of you people of faith out there, our inner flesh, our flesh is ruling everything we do. So while I indict our politicians, I think we need to look at ourselves. We need to look at the way we vote. When a politician says, I'm going to give you something, pinch yourself. Say, is that really right? Is that what God would have to vote for someone that takes from someone else and gives to me? Is that really a biblical thing? Is that a moral thing? Even if you're an atheist, is that a moral way to behave? So I'm just concerned, I guess, more about our cultural decay, which translates to political mischief and decay and corruption. We see it all around. And I guess mine is an altar call politically and culturally to take a look in the mirror when you go to the polling places. Take a look in the mirror when you, when you go to a, the next Republican, uh, the Lincoln days. Take a look in the mirror. If you happen to be a moderate, and if you if you feel strongly about the people, let's say you're an NPR listener and occasionally you tune into this program. God love you. 
and you occasionally vote for someone who shows sympathy for those poor people coming across the border. Oh, wonderful. They're coming across the border. A few of them probably are persecuted. A few of them probably have been um, struggling in their home countries. Think of how, you, if you want to help them, think about how you do it, but not at the risk, both in terms of public safety, as well as fiscal stability of this country, of the people, your fellow citizens around the border. If you're someone advocating, if you vote for people who advocate for open borders, which is essentially what we have, 1.5 million getaways since Joe Biden came into office. Um, you, But you want to help them because a large number of them are economically suppressed. Don't take my money to help them. Take your money and go on a mission trip. Take your money and give it to some non-governmental organization that is changing lives in Bolivia, in Central America, in Honduras. That's fine. Have at it. Do it. That's a moral thing to do. But because I may believe, and it's undeniably true, that the corruption in those countries is going to make it unlikely that no matter how much money you give them, things aren't going to get better. I'd rather build a strong, shining city on the hill that the rest of the world, while they may envy us, and there's always that human element of hate that goes along with envy, they will still respect us because we take care of our own. We make the world a better place to live because of a free market economy that enables entrepreneurs to do what entrepreneurs do and the workers that work for entrepreneurs to make great wages because the entrepreneur does well and in turn takes good care of their workers. And then those people in Bolivia and Honduras and Guatemala begin to realize, hmm, maybe there is a better way out there. Like the people in Poland did under Lech Walesa back in the 80s. And they realize that following an example is the better way than to break others' laws and transgress other people's sovereignty. So take a look inside. Because I believe, and this is why I guess I sound angry and sad at the same time, until we have revival in this country, cultural revival, nothing's going to change. Judges who protect lawyers who play games with extensions of trial deadlines, because they're lawyers too. Lawyers who don't mind the back and forth and the technical aspects of this or that law, which no one can make sense of. No, no rational person can make sense of the laws in this country anymore. It's become so complex. It's become so self-serving for the legal profession. I know I'm stepping on toes out there. You know it. Have you ever had to be involved in a legal dispute? Have you ever tried to hire a lawyer? Have you ever tried to figure out when you've been wronged? Maybe you've wronged someone and you're hiring a lawyer to get you out of. The, and have you ever thought in the back of your mind, wow, I escaped some kind of jeopardy and I probably shouldn't have because I should have been accountable. I made a big mistake. 
But in this current society, because we're a gotcha society, we've lost all sense of humility. We've lost all sense of following the biblical tenets of grace and mercy for one another and for ourselves. And it translates to our politics where we hurt one another through the politicians we elect. And we forget that ultimately the genius of this constitutional republic was it forced us to face one another at local municipal levels, at state levels, and hash out our differences. When you had to look at the other person and you had to really, power was wielded and was much more fragile to hang on to because you had to look that other person in the eye because they weren't always in Washington, D.C., wielding enormous amounts of power over you and and fighting like crazy the day after the first the, their 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 election to office fighting like crazy to maintain that power we have bastardized this constitution we have centralized power when the genius of the constitution was decentralizing power and we're all now part of some special interest group. And it's just a matter of my special interest group is stronger than your special interest groups. And yet we, including us conservatives, we rail about special interest groups. We rail about the United Auto Workers. We rail about the teachers unions. Are you getting Social Security? Are you getting Medicare? Come on. Be honest with yourself. You're a special interest group because you're now wanting government largesse. I've debated whether to say it on the air, but I'm going to. We just turned Medicare age. You're forced in this country, just like you're forced to be a part of a corrupt and inefficient Social Security system, we're not going to take Social Security. Oh, no, it's not retirement time. Oh, no, baby, it's not retirement time. You're essentially coerced to join Medicare. What in the heck is wrong with that system? You pay your taxes, and even though you don't want to be a part of something, they punish you to the point that you're essentially forced to join Medicare. You may not know this if you're not there yet. Listen to this. You have to, you're given, you're given, it's an entitlement to get Medicare Part A and uh, hospitalization benefits. Now, those you have co-pays and you only have so many benefits and then you have to start ponying up. But Part B, the part that covers outpatient stuff, doctor's offices, tests in the hospitals, CAT scans, colonoscopies, uh, outpatient surgeries, Part B, which is what most of us use for most of our medical care your stress test at the cardiologist, on and on. Um, you, If you don't join and pay the Part B Medicare premiums, and you say, no, I'd rather do what I'm doing, for instance, in my own practice, guys, where you, you pay directly to a doctor a very affordable price monthly to where you basically have a doctor on, on retainer 24-7. I text all the time with my patients. We spend an hour and a half on the initial visit. We have a Zoom call when they're, or if they want a telephone call or I type them a note, you know, whenever I get results back and we have discussions. It's like talking with friends because they are friends. Instead of you, if you join Medicare, being able to do that and then having a backup health care sharing plan like MediShare, Christian Health Caring Ministries, Sidera, Zion. They're not all Christian based. If you're not a Christian, that's fine. You don't have to be. There's those things are available. 
Instead of being able to opt into one of those, you have to pay Part B Medicare. And if you don't pay the premium every year, your premium obligation goes up 10 percent, 10 percent every year for as long as you don't join Medicare. And then if and when you finally do, those premiums that have gone up 10 percent every year as a penalty, a punishment. Think Obamacare here. Think Obamacare for not signing on to the government program that, you know, it's good for you. We told you it's good for you. You have to do it. Those compounded premiums that are now would be incredibly expensive five to 10 years down the road or more, and you decide to get on to Part B Medicare because let's say you do retire 70, 75, 80, whatever. Those are locked in for the rest of your mortal existence on this planet. It's coercion to be a part of of a government program. But wait, there's more. The premium, you are charged a surcharge based on your gross income two years earlier. Did you know that? You probably didn't. So not only do you pay higher, if you happen to have any level of, because of your hard work and your productivity, and many of out there, I know, the, I know you guys, I know you well, you work hard, you work your butts off. Many of you have sacrificed and taken second and third mortgages to expand your business, to do a great job on your, on your business, to, to, to get a re-education, to be a part of a, and you're, and you, but you know what? If you've made good scratch before you join Medicare, you got to pay a surcharge and it can be outrageous. My point of telling you this personal story is that you are no longer a free person in these United States of America. You're a ward of the state. You have to contribute to a retirement fund called Social Security, which if you would have invested privately over the same length of time that Social Security was in place, you, I guarantee, ask, ask Eric, ask Bob if I'm wrong. If you just put it in a, in, a, in, a, in a stock market index fund for all the years you're working, even with the ups and downs, ask Bob and Garrick. I hope one of them is listening. And I hope they'll answer that question. You would have done better if you would have been forced. Okay, so we're going to force you to, to take a retirement fund. You can argue whether you should even be obliged to do that. But if it would have been put into some privately managed, market-driven fund rather than the Social Security Pyramid Scheme Fund, where they take a huge amount for the Social Security Administration. I tried to call them the other day by the other way. I spent an hour waiting online with a terrible, I wish they'd come up with a better jingle that they play while you're on hold. It's awful music. It's awful. An hour, I finally hung up. I couldn't get anyone to answer. Instead of that corrupt, inefficient, high-dollar, government union worker supporting bureaucracy, you could pick up and call Bob or Eric or, you know, and say, uh, hey, yeah, how's my retirement thing doing? I guarantee you do doing better. So you have to be a part of a government uh, retirement plan. You have to be a part of a government health plan, which gives you uh, is is so abusive of the providers of your care. And that's why you don't get good care. It's just abusive. I could go on and on and on. I won't. I won't bore you anymore. But just tell you're not a free person anymore. Why? Because you have given, you have traded full, F-A-U-X, false security in the name of Social Security and Medicare for, you've traded your liberty for that, level of security. How's that working out for you? More on this as time goes on on the Tobler Show. When we come back, AI is invading everything you know. 
I guess there's some good. I've seen some good. I've seen lots of bad and even more ugly. We'll talk with an expert on that when we come back on The Randy Tobler Show. Don't go anywhere. How you doing? Good morning. I hope you're enjoying your bacon and eggs and pancakes, even though they cost three times what they cost just a couple years ago. Thanks, Joe. That's the rallying cry, guys. Thanks, Joe. And all the rest of you politicians that think you know what's good for us. Well, the politicians are going to have to wrestle with some uh, threat, I think, to existential potentially to our society. And that is artificial intelligence here to help us sort that out is uh, an expert on that. Joe Allen, uh, author of Dark Aeon. Uh, is it Eon or Aeon? Probably Eon. Is that how it's pronounced, Joe? I think it's uh, Darth e- Dark Eon. Welcome to the program. You know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you pick your own, whatever you're feeling, man. This is, this is a, a squishy <laughs> safe place, a safe space. There you, uh, you're, there you're you good. go. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. So listen, you're uh, an expert on uh, on AI, and I think a lot of us are struggling with, you know, everything in life that you know comes along in terms of innovation. There's generally a a, a double-sided edge to that sword, right? Uh, there's good and bad. I think I sure. can tell you from a, from a, uh, a, a uh, what does it call it? Um, specific AI uh, type thing in medicine. I think there's value there in helping us put together various data points and pointing us in a direction in acute situations in the emergency room, for example, or in the ICU. I've seen some, some help there. General AI scares the heck out of me. The title of your book is Dark Eon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. Transhumanism. Are we talking about Leah Thomas here or something different, Joe? Uh, they're kind of on the same wavelength, really. Uh, but uh, it, it, let's just think of it as um, the bottom surgery plus a chip in the head. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> That's um, great. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that, but I'm gonna give you attribution in the future. Okay, that's a good one. I like that. What does that mean? I, I will say, you know, a, a lot of uh, you know a lot of transhumanists uh, draw the connection between transgender uh, culture, surgery, things like that, and and transhumanism itself. The the urge or the the, the really the quest to merge human beings with machines there's similarities you, you think about the total transformation of the person and um, long term uh, for transhumanists the total trans- transformation of humanity but um, there, it's not as it's not as uh, neat and tidy as all that there are a lot of uh, macho or uh, super feminine transhumanists so it's uh, it's very complicated but the you know you're talking about Artificial intelligence, you know, every innovation has is a double-edged sword. Uh, even even some of the great things, right? Antibiotics, right? You end up with uh, antibiotic-resistant uh, bacteria, things like that, if it's overused. So um, any any great invention has its problems, but I suspect that much like people uh, picked up uh, smartphones and became Google-brained before they knew it. Uh, that artificial intelligence will just ramp that up. And some people want that, but uh, needless to say, I'm I'm on the other side. We're talking with Joe Allen, author of Dark Eon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. If you're uh, Googling the book, Eon is spelled A-E-O-N, but it still describes an immeasurably large period of time. Um, but it's also a, uh, a goddess's name. And, uh, I can tell that Joe Allen is a complex individual. Why do, can I tell this? 
Joe, is it true that you have an academic background in both science and theology? Wow. So That's true. You, yes. you, uh, um, yeah, th- th- this, this is fascinating. So, and I think let's, let's segue from that background in theology and, and science to the fact that I think we're on the precipice of, a, of an age, maybe we're already there, I just got done talking how our politicians think they're gods. They they rule on high from Washington, D.C., which is totally against what the founders wanted. The founders wanted a decentralized, humble leadership and let the people determine. And now I think scientific gods seem to want to create a, a, a new being, a new life form that is largely run in the name of A.I. Am I wrong? You've got it. You've got it. A hundred percent. A lot of it stems from the deterioration of traditional religion. When you take away traditional religion in any society, but just to take ours, you take away the Christian foundation of the, the worldview. Well, then there's really nothing. There, there are no gods left. And so that leaves only humans. And um, as the technology has become more and more sophisticated, some believe that these technologies uh, confer power to make them gods on earth. Uh, Some want to create an AI so intelligent, so vast that they believe it will be God on earth. It's uh, it's quite bizarre. Uh, It's not the the book. The intention of the book is not to convince you that uh, AI is going to come alive and drag you from your bed and put you to work in the uranium mines. Uh, although that's not a possibility I would totally rule out. Um, uh, it, it's more to bring you into the worldview that predominates in Silicon Valley that uh, has become very, very prominent in the military-industrial complex and more experimental branches. And um, and across the world, I mean, the, the CCP, the, their tech uh, they're, they're, if you want to call them uh, CEOs and uh, their, their tech community and, of course, the CCP are very, very interested in creating the same sorts of artificial intelligence systems and all the other elements that go along with it, brain-computer interfaces, genetic engineering, all of that. And so what you have is it is some kind of cross between mad scientists and a priesthood because it's not just a technology there's a whole worldview that goes along with this. And, uh, you know, it would be fine if it was just, you know, weirdos uh, tucked away in academia. But you're talking about the most powerful corporations on Earth in Silicon Valley. Uh, you're talking about the most powerful militaries on Earth with the U.S. Uh, Defense Department and um, the, uh, the uh, People's Liber- Liberation Army in uh, China. So, we, you know, we're facing... A, a dramatic shift, not only technologically, uh, but also culturally, because as that trickles down, you saw with the metaverse propaganda and all that, you're going to live in the metaverse um, that fizzled out. But the metaverse went nowhere. Uh, anyone who has young children knows that uh, many, if not most, young kids live in a semi metaverse already via video games and social media. And the impacts of this are going to have to be reckoned with. Uh, that's really the thrust of the book. How do you face a world like this? Wow. Joe Allen, uh, an amazing conversation. I have to tell you, I really appreciate what you are talking about and certainly what is in the book. I can't wait to read it. Although I don't know, I'll have to, there may not be enough Prozac in the in the medicine cabinet to, uh, to take <laughs> it. Um, you know, uh, you can, you can, 
stay in touch with Joe at uh, JoeBotXYZ on formerly Twitter, now X. I think I think um, I think Elon made a mistake um, rebranding X. No one's really catching on to that, but that's just my opinion. Um, what do you think? Do you think I'm so I'm getting so skeptical of anyone in power, whether it's in Silicon Valley or in Washington, D.C., uh, for that matter, down the hall at City Hall or anywhere else, Joe, because it seems like with the lack of with the loss, I, I just spent most of the first hour in this program railing about how we need a cultural revival, which really, I think, has to be centered on a return to the notion of a flawed a flawed human being um, striving forever to get back to good graces with their God, but realizing that God has grace and humility and we should follow in those, uh, those constructs. And I, I get so tired of people, whether it's Silicon Valley or, or Washington, D.C. or whoever in power, thinking that they know what's better for us. And, and so now let's switch to we had a little hearing. Apparently it was behind closed doors. That scares the hell out of me. Yeah. Last week. Why did it have to be behind closed doors? What what was that about? Elon Musk, I think. I don't know whether Elon was there, but you hear the you hear the the masters of AI and the masters of big tech saying, oh, we're wringing our hands. We're worried about it. Regulate us. The last time I heard that was big healthcare, United Healthcare, Aetna, whatever, or big farm. Oh, we're worried about healthcare. Just let us help regulate things and all will be good. Wink, wink, wink. Am I is my cynicism out of control or is it justified that the very people that want to want to publicly raise caution about this are full square all behind it and they can become masters of our universe? What what do you think? Yeah, I am uh, definitely of that opinion. Uh, what we're seeing appears to be just flagrant regulatory capture. And th- that meeting that you referenced uh, organized by Chuck Schumer. Uh, you know, you had that was really the big one. Uh, that was Elon Musk. Uh, that was Mark Zuckerberg. That was Alex Karp, CEO of Palantir. Uh, that was Sundar Pinchai, CEO of Google. Uh, there were uh, pretty much representatives from all the, the big players, uh, not only in AI, but other elements of, of this, this ongoing technological revolution. And who knows what was said? Uh, I've, I've yet to see any leaked content other than just the most kind of vapid uh, descriptions. But one thing is for certain. Uh, I, I, I don't think that these people are necessarily disingenuous when they say that AI is extremely dangerous, potentially, because it is uh, for a number of reasons, whether it's more mundane things like people becoming um, – uh, completely delusional because AIs have flooded their social media platforms with uh, various forms of disinformation and misinformation and all that. That is all, or deep fakes for that matter, that is all real or human beings using AI to do it. That is all real. But uh, the much like the big pharma situation uh, or big agriculture for that matter, like Monsanto, uh, or oil, uh, for that matter. Um, you, you have, wherever you have the industries that are being regulated dictating the policies, it's going to benefit the, the big companies and it's going to push out the little guys. Um, maybe you don't want a whole lot of little guys programming AIs all over the place or using small models. Um, it, it could be trouble. 
for sure. But uh, as we move into this revolution, I, I think that it's uh, probably best that it's decentralized as well. I'm very techno-skeptical in general. I think that, um, you know, if you're tinkering with DNA, which, by the way, you can get a home CRISPR kit for less than $300 right now, you could buy it, um, and you could start tinkering with bacteria genetics right now. Um, Hello. But um, uh, so, you know, it's, it's potentially dangerous all around. But it really is, um, you know, as we move into this, it's uh, one of those situations where is that power going to be solely in the hands of big tech and uh, and big uh, medical companies in the case of DNA um, uh, uh, or genetic engineering? Or uh, is it going to be widely diffused? Uh, both have really potential dangers and pitfalls. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm more inclined to say that the 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 more diffused that power, uh, the easier it will be to get around any potential totalitarian uses of it. Joe, a practical question for listeners today. I think we're already in an era where probably listener, if someone's logging on to a, a website, they're, they're, you know, they're asking a question of Google, they're, you know, on Twitter, whatever, they do a search. How can they discover whether they are being responded to uh, with with an agenda which ultimately derives from the programming of the AI. And we've seen that in several examples when people like tell me about Donald Trump's uh, 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 crimes. Boy, they get, you know, two pages worth. Tell me about Joe Biden's crimes. I cannot comment on that because I don't have adequate. I mean, you know, we've seen those things. Right. How can the average listener the, you know, I mean, the, the, the non-techno-savvy uh, uh, listener uh, know whether they're being duped by an AI or whether they're getting another human being to give an opinion, for instance. Can you ask AI if they're AI and will you be expected to get an honest answer, I guess is what I'm saying. How do we know? Uh, it, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Look, uh, this is the reality of it. Uh, Right now, it's pretty easy to detect a bot. Uh, it doesn't take that long. If you can, you can kind of play with it a little bit, and you'll start noticing strange, unnatural answers. Uh, but at, just things like that, right? Something very robotic, like I cannot answer you, Dave. Sorry, um, you know that sort of thing. There are telltale signs. But uh, as the technology gets better, uh, it's going to be more and more difficult to tell. And that's the issue, right? Like if you have a large language model such as GPT-5 that is so good that the average person simply like say 50% of the population, IQ 100 and on down, um, 50% of the population is unable to tell, well, then you can't tell. I mean, it's just as simple as that. Like how would you... You wouldn't know. You could have literally the entire Internet could be bots, and that 50% wouldn't know because there wouldn't be any way to know. That that's the point, right? Like, it's, 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 it's that sophisticated. The only way you would know is that experts uh, were able to tell you. So now, once again, you're kind of in the hands of the expert class. The same with, say, a deep fake. Right now, um, anybody who's seen, like, even the best deep fakes, you can see little things about it that – you know, the person's mouth moves unnaturally, or uh, maybe just there's a little glitch and you can see pixelation in the image. You can tell that it's a deep fake, but once it gets, and, and by the way, the best programs, uh, it, it is very, very, very difficult to tell. 
if it gets just a click wow. higher, assuming that the technology has not capped out, then you literally won't be able to tell at all unless you have uh, an AI to to find the, the tiny little details. So again, you're kind of in the hands of the experts. Uh, just real quickly, as far as vocal deep fakes, I, I mean, I can't mm-hmm. tell the difference. Mm-hmm. Like the really good ones, uh, David Attenborough, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, the really good vocal wow. deep fakes, I couldn't tell the difference. So I could be uh, not me right now talking to you. You wouldn't know. Wow. Well, I'm glad you are you, and I'm glad you're Joe Allen, author of Dark Eon, and uh, what a fabulous book, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. Folks, pick it up. Uh, manage your technology very carefully with that um, admonition in the background. And uh, Joe, I'm going to keep following you, man. Let's stay in tune, uh, in touch, and let's uh, make sure that as things progress and as uh, more warnings need to go out, you it sounds to me like you're the Paul Revere of our time. And I thank you for being with me today on the Randy Tobler Show. Thank you very much, sir. All right. Wow. Chilling stuff. I think when we come back and talk with uh, Virginia Cruda, we'll first ask her, is she a deep fake or is she real? And then we'll talk about some other stuff. I'm Randy Tobler. Back with a little more on News Talk 1019-941 right after this. As the distinguished chairman said, uh, there's no requirement that we have a vote. And so we, at this time, we will not be having a vote. There's Nancy Pelosi talking about uh, the impeachment inquiry. Not this one, but when she was in power. So there's no need for a vote for an impeachment inquiry. But now that Kevin McCarthy is going to do the same thing. Suddenly there's a problem with it. Cries, you and cry all from the left. Trying to understand the hypocrisy that does define our political class these days. Joining us, uh, Virginia Cruda, weekly visit. How you doing, Virginia? Are you tired of I'm hypocrisy? Good. I am. Well, aren't we always? I mean, this is this is nothing new, though. And, you know, as you said, tired of it. Are you tired of it? Yeah, it's, it's nothing new. It's... Um, it's the same as uh, if you remember in 2013 when Harry Reid changed the uh, he, he changed the rules on confirming federal judges. So instead of a 60 percent, uh, you know, 60, 60, 40 vote, um, they only needed 51. Right. And mm-hmm. Mitch McConnell at the time told him, you're going to regret this. And after Donald Trump and the fact that we got three conservative Supreme Court justices confirmed, plus hundreds of other federal judicial nominees. I mean, of course, Harry Reid lived to regret that, right? And the Democrats in general lived to regret that decision. And what I think is interesting, in in addition to, I mean, the, the hypocrisy, it's just that, like, they want to change the rules when they're in power, and then once the rules are changed, they get mad that that Republicans play by the rules that they changed. Yeah, like they they and want the to make people new rules s- when they're in power, but but they want the right. Republicans to abide by the old rules. And, and we saw that with works. the with the whole yeah we saw that with federal judges where Harry Reid pulled the pin on that grenade and made it a simple majority for for judges and and look what happened next thing you know he ended the you know the Democrats you know uh, they got the consequences of that what was good for the goose yeah. was good for the gander McConnell you know was able they were able to get three uh, more conservative leaning judges hey I, I want to 
in in regards to the impeachment inquiry, I'm developing a theory, and I wanted to test it for, with you. That okay. this impeachment inquiry, which is really designed to sort of highlight why Joe Biden shouldn't be president of the United States, right? I mean, that's the political goal. Right. Let's be honest about it, right? Okay. Yeah. For sure. I think that that might be that might be undercut um, by an internal revolt against Joe Biden and leave the the impeachment inquiry sort of with like no target because Biden says, okay, no mas, I'm out of here. Um, and I'm just wondering if maybe that's what could happen. I mean, think about it. David Ignatius comes out and says, I like Biden's policies, but he shouldn't run. You're hearing more and more very lukewarm reaction when politicians are asked, you know, well, oh, what about that? Um, what do you think? Do you think it may be that he's just pressured into stepping down? I think that there are a lot of people on the left who would really like to see Biden step down so that they can avoid the embarrassment of what could come out in an impeachment. I think what what's going on is you see a lot of people on the left who know how dirty Joe Biden is or know how dirty he's likely to be when they dig in. And they don't want that. So the last thing they want is this impeachment to go to a Senate trial, especially when it's televised. So okay. I think well, here's the here's I, the I, thing, though. Okay, here's the problem, though, uh, Virginia. If you'll play uh, clip uh, five for me, Leah, I want you to listen to this. And here's the dilemma they're in, and it even got the people on the View uh, worried. But here's what they would be looking at: whether an impeachment uh, inquiry, then impeachment, then I don't think he gets convicted, uh, but no. it pressures and no, makes him look bad, or if he withdraws. Here's who's in who's here's the lady in waiting. And it presents a real dilemma. Take a listen to this. You all, as I said earlier, have coined the phrase climate anxiety to describe what is what is associated with that existential crisis. And so there are a number of things that we have done that I'm proud of since we came in office, including putting a trillion dollars into a number of things that are about adaptation and resilience and what we need to do to build a clean energy economy. Okay, so, I mean, that's who they're looking at as, you know, they have an existential right. problem, Virginia, because Sonny Hoskins said, man, if you if you skip over. Uh, Kamala, for because of all of her weaknesses, my God, you're not going to get the black vote. And that got a lot of pushback from Joy Behar. I mean, uh, can you unpack that? For that me? that a got pushback from Joy Behar and from Whoopi Goldberg, too. And so it's it's important to note that her black liberal co-host disagreed with her. So and here's the thing. And I, and I think I think Whoopi is right to a degree because she said, OK, who's going to change vice presidential candidates? I don't think if if you if you for a second take run with the assumption that Joe Biden is going to be the nominee. I can't I can't say with any certainty that that's actually going to happen. But if you say that he is, I don't see him changing his running mate because I think he's too arrogant to change his running mate. I think he thinks that he won with Kamala Harris against Donald Trump. And if it comes down to it, he can do it again. And I don't think that any number of advisors or controllers or puppeteers, however you want to put it, I don't think anyone is going to be able to uh, change his mind on that point. But but Virginia, I, said, I have I don't you what what happens though? What? 
No, she. I think she, she is the weakest link, and we know that. And that's why David Ignatius wrote that it's time for both of them to step aside. And so, so I think... I, I think that they understand the precarious position they're in, and that is why, honestly, I think they're allowing, the DOJ is allowing this um, the indictment against Hunter Biden to proceed with regard to the gun crime. You know why? Because it's one of the only things they can't tie to Joe Biden. So if Hunter Biden is tied up in that, and they're doing this, okay, well, we're prosecuting him for the gun crime. What more do you want? You know, they, they mm. do that. It kind of deflects from and it gives Joe Biden time to calmly and quietly exit the race if that's his choice. He doesn't have to do it under pressure. He can do it because he loves his son and he wants to be there for him or whatever the the excuse the Democrats are going to give. But you and I both know that the issues that impact Joe Biden are far more serious than the gun crime. Because we're talking about yes. selling out the United States to foreign powers. This is much more serious. This is much more complex. And it involves far more people, including likely President Joe Biden. So if they can distract from that, they will. And I think that that's why we're going ahead with this gun crime full tilt. Going to go ahead and, oh, he could get 25 years for this. Okay, but what about the foreign dealings let's talk about that and so that's why they're pushing forward with this anyway that's why republicans are pushing forward with it anyway the problem is we're running into a situation where republicans can't get out of their own way you got people like lauren bobert making idiotic decisions and showing up on security cameras doing things that she should definitely not be doing um and then i i don't know how serious Um, Because it's all anonymously sourced, but then you have this thing coming out about Christy Noem and Corey Lewandowski. And so you have all of these top Trump supporters that are getting exposed for unrelated things, I guess, in an attempt to keep Christy uh, Christy Noem off off of the potential running mate list. I don't know. You know, but there's a lot of speculation going on. But they're doing a lot of uh, the press is doing a lot of damage control for Biden. And I think that we can expect more of that because they're going to they're going to do some stuff like David Ignatius so that that when it comes down to 2024, no matter who's running, they can say, see, we were critical of Democrats once. You can trust us. We're straightforward. Uh, uh, uh-huh. That's part that's, of the, it, there, the calculus. Yeah, there. This is a time when people, voters want to want authenticity. And if they can create some full authenticity, oh, they might uh, get somewhere. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Lauren Boebert's behavior in that Colorado uh, theater with uh, uh, watching Beetlejuice and she was vaping and she tried to blame it on uh, the, the fog in the on the stage. And and then, I mean, just all kinds of outrageous behavior. And she was ushered out of there. And there were multiple people. Yes, uh, I, I don't in the recommend audience watching complaining. that video with children present. Yep. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Uh, and you know what? Let's be honest about it. Donald Trump has validated um, politicians behaving badly, both presently and in their past. And I think that doesn't serve America well. I'll go ahead and say it. I think we need cultural revival. I think it has to be centered on a on yeah a faithful cultural revival. And uh, I yeah, well, in, in fairness, is, before yeah. Donald Trump did it, Bill Clinton did it, and. Uh, again, this is, this is the this is again the Democrats setting the standard and then getting mad when Republicans meet it. So, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, 
you want to look no, back, we got to run. Talk about we can talk about that, but Bill Clinton really set the standard for bad behavior, yeah. and he right. did it in the White House, not just prior to. No, you're so right. You're so right, and um, it's it's just a sad indictment on on what's going on. I've got literally thirty seconds left. Um, where do we go uh, from here? I mean, who's going to be the Democrat nominee? Who's going to be the one that we would be most frightened of when and if uh, Joe Biden clears the stage? Thirty seconds. I think I think Gavin Newsom is probably the most likely heir apparent, but I think that anybody who's paying attention to California knows better than to elect him <laughs> in a nationwide. Right. All right, Virginia Cruda. That's a great, great uh, diagnosis. I I fear a drafting of Michelle Obama, and I know it's it's maybe yeah. a long shot, but man, you know, if that happens, we're in trouble. Hey, we got to run. Thanks for everything. You can stay in touch with Virginia at VA Cruda on X, formerly Twitter. See you next week, Virginia. Take care. Sounds good. Welcome back to the third hour of the Tobler Show. Hey, it's always a pleasure to talk with Kaylin Dorr, who is the uh, chief marketing officer with uh, Tusk, which is the world's first truly free speech-based browser, and also the former CMO at uh, Real Donald Trump at the uh, in the 2020 election. How you doing, Kaylin? Thanks for being with me. I'm doing good, brother. Are you hanging in there? Having a good Saturday? Yeah, we're doing okay. I, we just had a really compelling and, frankly, chilling discussion that I think maybe we can dovetail this with our discussion. We want to talk about TikTok and the influence on young folks and the gr- grasp it has on their heads um, and what the universities are trying to do about it. But I talked with a guy named Joe Allen, who is uh, wrote a book on transhumanism and the rise of AI and really citing the dangers of what it can do to our society if it's not, you know, harnessed. And I thought, man, AI and digital, you know, access and all of the stuff that's going on with our kids infatuation and addiction to that is really changing their minds, isn't it? And don't you find it a scary thing what big tech can do, both directly and through our wiring, you know, as we become more and more dependent on it? What do you, th- what do you think? Well, yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I also help launch Getter, which is a free speech platform on social media. So, you know, this has kind of been something that I've been running up against personally and professionally for, for quite a few years now. And it's because, you know, as these new generations arise, Right, uh, these kids are programmed to think one way. I mean, like the words TikTok and Google are—they're not nouns; they're verbs. Um, and this has been engineered in such a way that it makes it very difficult for competitors to get into the space. I think competition in the space is what's needed in order to you know, break free or dislodge uh, you know our children's minds from this kind of thing. Um, but when we talk about uh, you know things like TikTok with children. Or, uh, you know, uh, transhumanism and, and leaning on AI. I think it comes down to the parents, right? Parents of future generations need to be a part of those conversations. Look at what happened when we kind of ceded control of Facebook and Twitter and, you know, Instagram and all that to the radical left. And we just said, you know, hey, they're not going to do anything because, you know, why would they? What's the worst that could happen? And we let these leftists build those platforms. That's why it's important that we're a part of these conversations earlier as a movement. That way we can at least steer them in some sort of direction and hopefully save some souls in the process. And that's the thing. I mean, it's it's a matter of self-regulation. And 
You know, it's funny. I saw a story just last week where parents are upset that their kids are spending so much time. And as you said, you know, really being molded by by uh, by the by the technology. But yet the parents are probably spending as much or more time on their own cell phones, screen time. And, and they they spend this was in the New York Post. Most parents confess to spending more time on their <laughs> on their phones than their kids. Hello. I mean, we've got a lot of self examination to do, don't we? Yeah. And you know, people, uh, they say that, that, that your children pick up and value the things that they see you valuing and, and putting time and, and effort and love into. And it has everything to do with. You know, I'm, I'm only, I think I'm 31. There's people my age that are really, you know, failing this country. People that are silent about standing up against these things, they're essentially complicit in uh, you know, their hostile takeover of future generations. And it's okay to be on your phone, in my opinion. It's okay to do those things. But you need to be having educated conversations with your children and understanding that, you know, where you put your time, people are watching you do that. Nothing happens in a vacuum. Someone is always watching. Um, and in the case of TikTok, someone's always watching. If you pick it up and I'm putting down. Um, but, but those are the things you really need to value. And unfortunately, you know, we live in a society that rewards those who seek attention. Attention is the ultimate currency. And, and that is what those things provide. And that's where everyone's putting their time. And it's really sad. How does the Tusk browser um, phenomenon help combat um, sort of the out of control environment and the the mind controlling because of the people pulling the strings from the left environment of uh, of alternatives out there? I mean, why should folks in the audience look towards Tusk? Well, it's, it comes down to one really important thing. Right? That we're not you know, our country doesn't seek the marketplace of ideas anymore. What makes what's happening even more dangerous is that the people are only being fed one side of every story. They're only being fed one perspective or one political leaning. And so I'd advise everyone to go check out Tusk Browser uh, because you're able to sort your, your news results by left, right, or center. We've got the first ever conservative AI chatbot on there. Uh, which will allow you to kind of play with the technology. You need to be educated. Uh, if you're going to go out there and fight the enemy, you got to have something that allows you to kind of understand what we're up against. Um, and you know, that's, it's, it's, that's kind of the name of the game. But it used to be, Randy, that you and I could come here and have a conversation and leave without calling each other racists or bigots or uh, you know whatever the, the, the latest term is. Um, and we want to get back to that. You know, the marketplace of ideas is what made our country great, and we're looking to get back there. Yeah, it's good to see. I mean, and and I, boy, when I when I saw this meeting last week between you know with Musk and uh, the Google uh, chief and uh, Zuckerberg, and uh, this was the most frightening part of it. Not that not just that there was a meeting between the big tech that are increasingly controlling our lives, but it it was with it was organized by Schumer and it was behind closed doors for crying out loud. And I'm thinking, people, yeah, if you got to use Google, use Google. If you got to do Facebook, do Facebook. But please don't give these people a corner on the market and absolutely don't give them a corner in the smoke-filled room with Chuck Schumer and somehow think that that's okay. Uh, 
people have got to continue to to give an increasingly wide berth to, you know, startups and incomers and, you know, disruptors like Tusk. I'm glad to hear you got an AI conservative bot. I mean, I think AI is a reality. It's not a matter of trying to, the, the genie's out of the bottle. It's a matter of controlling it to, uh, to conservative uh, ends, I, I think, don't you? Yeah, and, and it's kind of like what I said. You know, we we for years thought, oh, you know, leftists. We know, you know, leftists are building Facebook, and they're behind it. And what's the worst that could happen? Well, we kind of tipped the scales of the election. We saw in twenty twenty, and uh, that only happened because we were too complacent and we were too scared to be a part of that conversation. It's it's really you know, as someone who's been a part of the alternative tech and free speech movement now for a few years. It's really disheartening uh, to see that these things are only now picking up steam. We had to wait. We had to react to the censorship of a story where the, the now president's son uh, was smoking you know, crack and, and hiring hookers and selling access. And we had to wait until that happened before we did anything about it. And so, you know, I yeah, think the greatest... You know, you know, yeah, we tend ahead, to be a reactive society in America, right? I mean, we we wait uh, too late until things are far down the uh, the zone. But um, so let's pivot to to TikTok. There are um, absolute libertarians who say we got no business telling college kids what they can do with their TikTok or any other American for that matter. And we've got others who are concerned about national security uh, that are saying no, TikTok is an arm of the. Chinese Communist Party, and we need to muzzle them because they're getting data about us, and they'll use it to nefarious ends. What's the right answer? Yeah, I mean, I think the answer is you know, we, we, we kind of need to push them out, whether it's in society, people need to stop taking money from them to promote their obviously devious product. I mean, it's very rare that the enemy tells you they're your enemy and you do nothing about it. I mean, I'm a free speech libertarian, but I feel like this is a national security issue, you know, across the board. Not only that, I mean, there, this is an attempt at destabilizing our society. They're going after our children with harm, harmful algorithms. You know, they're going after young women. Um, and they're poisoning our society. This isn't about, I don't know, say, winning a war in you know, eight months or a year or two years. This is about them just basically walking in and you know, changing the flag on the White House here in about 10, 15 years. That's all it is. And, you, you know, you'd be silly to just sit there and kind of let it happen. I understand, you know, uh, the free speech argument, but this is essentially an attack. Uh, and it, it, it's it's just very very disconcerting to see people, you know, stand aside while this happens. Talking with Kaylin Dorr, uh, formerly uh, a CMO with at Real Donald Trump in 2020, and currently the interim chief marketing officer for Tusk, a free internet and conservative leaning browser. Um, when it comes to TikTok, is it true? I mean, I've heard reports, Kaylin, that the TikTok iteration in China is using it in a way I wish we'd use it here, which is to educate young people, to give them, you know, civil education about what they think is the proper role of them. I mean, it's, it's anything but sort of the mindless TikTok 
stuff we see over here. Is that true? And boy, isn't that something that tells you exactly what these people are up to. They're, they're using a platform to their own means in a way that uh, is constructive from their perspective for their youth rather than destructive on our side of the of the Pacific. Well, here's what I'll say. I mean, you know, they're, they're doing what they do to, to stay in power. Uh, and you have to look no further than the Biden White House uh, to recognize this platform's value. Um, you know, they are actively, it's been reported, I believe, in Axios and Politico that they're actually building a press briefing room in the White House uh, for, like, TikTok and social media influencers. They'll have their own home to create content and essentially spread their propaganda. And that's what we're seeing in China. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a wildly valuable tool. I'm sure that is exactly what they're doing over there because Joe Biden can't help himself but to copy everything that he sees over in China. Um, it, it's, it's again, it's concerning, and it could be used for good, but there's no competition in the marketplace. There's no one for you know, for someone who thinks like you or I to go out and, and look for content that you know further educates them in their principles or you know cultivates them or grows them into you know, a man or woman that our, our nation would be proud of. That's that's what's really scary about it. It's frightening. It's frightening. Well, thanks for being with me, Kalen. I want to. Uh Recommend people go to TuskBrowser.com, learn about it, a, a browser where you can determine the sources of your news and information. And isn't that sweet music to your ears uh, in a world where it seems so much of what comes into our data feed is controlled uh, by others, not for our benefit in all cases. Kalen Dorr, thanks for being with me. Have a great weekend. Thank you, brother. You too. All right. There he is. Wow, frightening stuff, guys. But guess what? There are options. We still have options. We can still control ourselves. We can still, if we make those disciplined choices, in a few, we will come back and we will talk with uh, a woman who's uh, leading, one of many who are leading uh, the charge for free education. And by that, I mean not public education. I mean free choice in our educational choices because there is that movement. It is growing and we'll hear from one of the leaders in that, Sharice Trump, right after a few words from the folks that support this radio show and this radio station. Make sure that if you need their goods or services that you give them a good hard look because I can almost guarantee they're in the same side of the fence as you in terms of what they believe and how they conduct their lives and their business. I'm Randy Tobler. It's News Talk Excuse me, News Talk STL 1019-941. Be back in a few. Well, there's a movement afoot in America, in Missouri, across the land, and it is uh it is parents speaking up and speaking out and making choices for their children because what they've been fed through the public education system has not been working out well as of late. And uh, we have Sharice Trump with us now, the executive director of Speech First, organization that is leading the charge against some nefarious indoctrination going on in our schools and our universities. How you doing? Welcome to the program, Sharice. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. So tell us about it. It appears appears that public school districts are uh, considering teachers' social and political views along with their basic education, you know, credentials? What's going on? 
Yeah, this is, I mean, this is starting to get out of control. So in order to ensure that schools have whatever political leanings the the districts want, they're starting to mess with the hiring practices. So we've seen, you know, evidence of uh, districts and universities having teachers and professors sign these diversity, equity and inclusion statements or land acknowledgement statements, which is uh, or climate change statements, you know, things that like force them to essentially show their loyalty. It's like a loyalty oath to the far left woke doctrine. However, now they're even going this far. And this is a recent study at the, uh, the NOP found is that the, which is the National Opportunity Project. They surveyed 70 school districts across the country. And now they found that the school districts are actually going out of their way to make sure that the interview panels that are interviewing the prospective teachers have, you know, members of the LGBTQ community, members of different minority races, et cetera, in order to attempt to essentially act as political litmus testers to whoever is going to be interviewed. And then they're going to take and they're going to take that information forward and say, yeah, these guys are liberal enough or they're not liberal enough. They're not included or they're not inclusive enough or diverse enough. So we shouldn't hire them. I mean, this is straight up just discrimination at this point and viewpoint discrimination if they're too conservative. So I think we definitely need to do a little bit more digging. Um, You know, we I work a lot on university campuses and the practices that we see going on universities, they're in, they want to indoctrinate students in K through 12 so that by the time they get to the university campuses, they're 100% compliant and they do whatever, you know, the woke activists on campus want them to do with regards to social justice, becoming social justice warriors, activating themselves in their, in their prospective fields and trying to get them more political and more politically driven on the left. You know, this is really interesting. It's frightening, it's chilling, but it's not surprising given the movement of the progressive educational establishment. I mean, really, back in the back in the 1900s, right? It started in the 19 early 1900s, the progressive movement. They they stated that they were going to change America in a progressive way through the educational system and it went on steroids in the 60s. Those teachers became mm-hmm. the teachers of the next generation of teachers and like you say, I mean, we've seen it in any local school district, in any civics history class, Charisse. I mean, parents will tell you that that, you know, if they look at the curriculum and look at the stuff the kids are being taught and what they're bringing home, it's it's meant to make white kids feel guilty. Like if you're white, you're an Mm -hmm. oppressor. You're by definition a racist uh, and you need to, you know, eternally genuflect to anyone that isn't white. And I mean, I, look, I grew up and was in elementary school in the 60s and, and into the early 70s. And, and I can tell you, I mean, I, I am well aware and do have a proper amount of of uh, circumspection about the way black Americans were treated for too long in this country. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that yep. I'm an, an oppressor. And this is a pathological indoctrination that's going on across the educational spectrum. How do we get a handle Absolutely. on it, Cherise? How do we get a handle on it? Yeah, well, it's about prioritizing the right things. So while while on campuses you have districts and colleges prioritizing all of these DEI initiatives, in, in the meantime, you have 60% of community college students and 40% of undergrads at four-year colleges having to take at least one remedial class in math, science, and, and writing and reading um, because they can't actually perform at a co- collegiate level by the time they get to college in those fields. So they're spending taxpayer money because now they're using student loans to pay for additional classes 
um, in their colleges that are supposed they supposed to already be proficient in by the time they graduate. Um, so it's about really these districts and the DOE, the Department of Education, really prioritizing the right things here because you're it, it, you're starting to ask yourself. You can only kind of jump into those more conspiratorial thoughts when you ask yourself why on earth. Would they not prioritize things like civics? Would they not? Which civics lays out the groundwork for our legal system in this country? Don't you think students should know a little bit about the country that they're going to be operating in as adults? I mean, why would you not want to teach that? Why would you not want to teach them math or science or English uh, or you know proper English or reading and writing? And it all comes down to they're more moldable when they're less knowledgeable and when they're less intellectually curious. And when they get down, when they get into college. By the time they get there, they are so they are so used to hearing this rhetoric. They're so everything is so normalized for, for them when it comes to the far left ideology. By the time they get to college, they're doing these things called privilege marches in their uh, in their freshman orientation programs, which is where if you're white, um, you have to sh- they, they show how white you are, how privileged you are by having you step forward every time they list out a various benefit that you know, when you're white, uh, they have uh, implicit bias tests that the students have to take, which has them matching skin color to positive and negative words. And if you do it too quickly at the end of the test, it tells you that you're biased against certain races. I mean, these kids are already being convinced and brainwashed in such a way that they are, that there's something wrong with them if they're white, that there's, you know, that there's something wrong with the way that they behave no matter what they do they cannot change that but also if they're minorities then they've been disadvantaged their entire lives and there's they should be ready to be offended and use these mechanisms like reporting systems on their campus to report on their fellow students whenever they're offended so you ask what we can do about it it's one it's holding the bad actors accountable you know like i said a lot of this is actual viewpoint discrimination a lot of this is a violation of First Amendment rights when it comes to free speech, free expression. So going in there, what, like what our organization at Speech First says, we go and we sue the bad actors. We hold universities accountable when they violate students' free speech rights. And we actually bring them to the court of law and we shame them in the public square by taking them to town on the media and forcing them to defend these bad policies uh, in public. And so holding bad actors accountable, but also it's up to state lawmakers. You know, these are school districts. These are all public taxpayer funded school districts. You know, public state universities, state lawmakers can hold these schools accountable by withholding funding whenever they behave this way, whenever they have policies like this. So it's about state lawmakers really stepping up their game. And we have seen them getting a little bit more aggressive, but they really need to start threatening, you know, financial consequences when when universities and schools threaten students' First Amendment rights. And so... Seeing all of that activity increase there will help enormously. And just, you know, again, we have to just chip away at the issue here because it's a pretty big one, like you were saying. I have to tell you, I uh, several years ago, I stopped giving to my alma mater because they called and asked for donation. And I was never a big donor, Mm -hmm. but I tried to support a particular school I went to. And I got this call one evening and this was probably six, seven, eight years ago now. And uh and I and they said, "Will you donate?" I said, "This is when the whole safe spaces on campus movement, you know, like there has to be a safe <laughs> yeah. space where sort of, you know, where it's cordoned off, and that's when where you, the little snowflakes can't get their sensibilities hurt." I said, "You have safe spaces," and immediately I got the can. Well, we try to respect. I said, "That's all. I'm done." The, the, the college environment is all about free speech and much of it, which I think is abhorrent, but I tolerate, or I used to, because that's what it was about. But if you're going to carve out, you know, certain spaces where our little snowflakes, oh, my goodness, their sensibility was her. Oh, my wee, wee, wee. Get out the violins. I said, no, I'm done. (laughs) I'm not doing it. And I think alumni should be cognizant of that. They should be asking those questions. They should be 
activists yes. in their alumni activities, don't you think? 100%. And we have seen alumni organizations stepping up their game when it comes to holding schools accountable. Cornell University has a great one, the Cornell Free Speech Alliance. And those are alumni who are, you know, creating model policies for the university when it comes to free speech. Now, whether the university wants to incorporate that is up to them. But, you know, having alumni more involved is huge because universities care not only about money, they also care deeply about their reputations. Um, so if there is, you know, if you have alumni saying, I'm just not going to send my kids to your school, I mean, that legacy admission stuff is especially for some of the Ivy Leagues, is a pretty big deal. So, you know, there are there are things that are getting the university's attention, but, you know, they have billions of dollars in endowments and they have unlimited resources. So when it comes to actually hurting them in a way that matters, hurting them in a way that counts, it's holding them accountable, it is going to take a full, you know, a, a full effort from everyone who's working on this. You're going to need alumni, you're going to need parents, you're going to need, uh, you know, activists to get, to get state lawmakers and everyone involved, get grassroots organizations. But then also, again, like on the legal side, that is our last line of defense, which is why Speech First has decided to focus primarily on litigation, because that's where you can really hold them accountable pretty much permanently, because, you know, the the results that come out of appellate litigation at that level is going to be very long lasting and very difficult for them to overturn. So, you know, there are various ways to go at this. It's just a matter of doing it all at once to really go at them, because like I said, they're a behemoth. They have all this money and all these resources, and you just have to chip away. We're talking with Sharice Trump, who's uh, at Speech First. She's the executive director there uh, at speechfirst.org, also uh, host of the Well Said podcast. And uh, look, guys, uh, I don't normally make appeals for, you know, you to pull out the money that is less today, worth less today than it was yesterday you know, <laughs> out of yeah. your pocketbook. But it costs a lot of money to litigate. I know this. And it's going to yeah. take litigation. It's going to take fighting bullies with bully litigation techniques and i mean that in a complimentary way sharice you gotta fight fire with fire and it's expensive so consider um, going on to speechfirst.org and you know give them a few of your hard-earned bucks because look if we lose our educational system if we lose our free speech rights it's all is lost you might as well yeah. you might as well look at argentina venezuela uh, uh, you know russia china uh, that's where we're going to turn into i don't know if you'd heard it yeah. i had a chilling discussion sharice um, with Adam Gwilett from uh, uh, Accuracy in Media. And I know you focus on college campuses, but this was chilling to me. Apparently, there's this news service called Newsella, N-E-W-S-E-L-A. Sounds like Nutella. I wish they were as friendly as Nutella, but it's Newsella. Uh, and and they, uh, so Adam, uh, Adam used to be with Project Veritas and James O'Keefe. They went undercover mm -hmm. and they went to places like Idaho, uh, uh, Indiana. I mean, you know, places that are not red, uh, blue zones. <laughs> right. And they caught administrators on camera talking about how this Newzella news service, which I guess gives sort of condensed news, uh, you know, stories as part of the curriculum in history, civics, classes, English, whatever. It's in 90 percent of America's schools. And they had these administrators snidely admitting well this is the way that we're getting this is a trojan horse that yeah we can get the crt thing in we can get the 1619 project hmm. magic uh, uh yeah. message in um you know surreptitiously wink wink smiley smiley i was appalled and i don't know that parents knew that but th this this the way yeah. that the ends that these progressive woke people will do to indoctrinate our children it is the most frightening thing i've ever heard had you heard about the whole newzella thing 
So I have heard a little bit about the newsella, but I will say for any parents who are listening, do not, you know, you need to pay attention to what's going on in the classroom. If you, I mean, I assume many of you are already, especially if you're listening to this show, but it is not gone are the days where you have the teacher creating their own curriculum and actually you know, being transparent about it and literally just teaching it directly to the student. Very, very often these days in public schools, you will see them using third party companies to come in and bring in curriculum, bring in teaching modules, bring in training modules. And those are notoriously very, very um, on. They, they do push political agendas on the far left. They notoriously do it. They have entire training modules that they put educators through and, and as well as students when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion and this all of this kind of critical race theory stuff. They uh, and it is, you know, there are a number of companies that that benefit off of this. If you wonder why universities have DEI majors now or ESG majors, ask yourself where those graduating students are going to work. They're all going to work for places like Newzella and some of these other uh, major companies and private contractors, because that's where they're going to make their money with those types of degrees. And they're going to bring all of the stuff forward because that's how they can justify getting a degree in something so ridiculous like DEI. And so this is just really, really important that you pay close attention. Try to find schools that just teach your kids the basics and that you and you know you do the rest at home of course but that's something that was like a rude awakening since covid for all the parents i guess we relied way too much on the public school system and there just was never enough transparency there and we're just calling them out it's so it's so interesting man we could talk for an hour we're gonna have to have you back i hope (laughs) you'll be a friend of the show and come back um absolutely Remember when Barack Obama broke onto the scene? He said, there is no red America and blue America. There's one up here. Ironically, he started the push. He had such an opportunity to right. unite this country and 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 de-racialize this country. And he only put it on steroids. Trayvon Martin, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, yeah, Black Lives uh, Matter started Rowe. underneath. Yeah, Black right. Lives Matter started Professor under Obama. Rowe. Who was the guy in Bob? Professor, uh, was it uh, the professor in the Boston police? And, you know, they didn't act smartly, oh. that whole deal. You know, I mean, okay. So, and here we are now where I actually, I'm happy what's going on is, I mean, we've got speech first. We've got accuracy in media. We have, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I signed a declaration of educational independence for a group uh, that does, that advocates homeschooling just the other day. I'm going to have her on my weekday show on Monday, uh, Lee Borton's. Okay. And, now we're and now we got public square the online conservative mall we've got the online we've got uh, red balloon which is a bulletin board to put employers and employees together that just want to do the right thing by their business and not be held to some dei esg standard there is this growing movement and i'm glad you're a part of it finally i heard riley (laughs) gaines on a podcast just the other day do you realize that San Francisco University was at San Francisco State, whatever, back in April, she was given that talk. Yeah. She got assaulted. She was physically roughed up. D- I didn't I didn't I'd forgotten it or else I didn't remember or else I didn't hear it. Do you realize that the dean, one of the one of the leaders, the dean, the provost, I don't know, sent a letter to the people, the very people who physically assaulted her and said, great job. You mm-hmm. kids are really standing up for the we're in a world yeah, of hurt. And I'm her. glad I. They held her hostage. They held her hostage for three years or for three hours too. While and then they physically assaulted her when she tried to get out. They locked her in the classroom with her security yeah. for three hours. But the, but the leaders of these universities are endorsing law breaking. It is right. plain and simple law breaking. And she said that the police, although she supports the police, I think the police were either intimidated. They've now it's either a matter yeah. of you know you either go along. They sort of stood down. 
I mean, you're you're David fighting Goliath. I mean, you're you're David yeah. fighting Goliath, and I I just pray for you, Sharice. I really do. I I, I pray. Well, for we you. got um we got Stanford Dean Terian Steinbeck fired or removed from from she was a DEI dean at Stanford oh, Law yeah. School. Yeah, that judge, and, that yeah. Louisiana judge that got shot. Right. Yeah. She exactly. She encouraged a mob to not just shout him down, but spit at him and scream at him, prevent him yeah. from speaking, threatening the lives of his children because he was conservative. And she went up there and gave a speech and encouraged them and asked if the juice was worth the squeeze when she was talking about free speech. You know, is it worth hearing ideas that you don't agree with if free speech exists? And so she, you know, we got, we put a whole ad campaign. We, we do advocacy as well in addition to litigation. And we pushed that story and made it go viral and work with media and made sure that they, the key stakeholders at Stanford knew that we wanted her held accountable and they eventually removed her. So that was a huge win on our part, but you know, we launched the whole petition and everything. That's what we got to do. When you see incidents like that, you just got to go at them with everything you've got. Wow. All right. Well, Sharice Trump, it's been a pleasure to meet you virtually. I hope someday we can meet you in person and thank you for all you've done. I'll thank you now and hope that people will log on to speechfirst.org. I have to ask you, now that we're friends, can, can, can I shake Can I shake Don's hand? Do you know Don? I mean, your last name. <laughs> There's no relation that I know of, but you know what? You, sure. Go ahead. Reach out to Uncle Donnie and, and tell him that I said hi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks for being with me. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll stay in touch. Let's get together again soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Randy. All right. Sharice Trump with speechfirst.org. And they did have a big role to play in Stanford and getting that crazy diversity uh, dean, whatever she was, uh, out of there after she just uh, she doubled down on those those uh, raucous students. I mean, we've got who's who's running the show here? The tail's wagging the dog in America. We got to say enough. 314-912-1019. Join in on the show as we wrap it up here in the next segment. I'm Randy Tobler, Leah Omstead over there. We'll be back on News Talk STL 1019 314-912-1019. Give me a buzz. Love you too, Katie and Tony. Great, great, uh, great, great work you guys do. I love being on with them every Thursday afternoon. It's always fun. And I listen every minute I can, either on the app or on the web or, of course, over the old-fashioned airwaves, which are uh, yeah, so many options. I don't have an Alexa. If I did, I'd probably listen that way. Steve is on the line now. And Steve, before we go too far, I have to tell you, man, I just went downstairs to fill up my cup of coffee and... My wife uh, said she pulled out the list. You know what the list is? Uh, I'm said, afraid I said, do. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's raining where I am here. And um, you know what the list is. It looks like it's yep. one of those honeydew afternoons. But that's okay. Yeah. We'll get I've along. Got, What's on your mind, I've buddy? Got an in, What's on your I've mind? got an indoor list and an outdoor list. So on a rain, yeah. I get the indoor <laughs> list. <laughs> yeah. What's going okay. on, my friend? Actually, wonderful show. First, I want to give a brief hello, if he's still listening, to Gene, who called in the first hour. We sat next to one another last night at Judge Ginsburg's uh, presentation. Yeah. And, good. Uh, good. Gene's yeah, the, uh, boy, couple, you have had some uh, chilling subjects today. The transhumanism I've been following for a while, and it just kind of knocks my socks off every time I think about it. Uh, but the... Uh, the guest you just had regarding this school um, indoctrination, 
I've been following this closely since, you know, my kids were in school in the early 90s out here in Rockwood School District. And I, you know, seeing it even even back then, um, mm. it, was occur- it was starting to occur. And got to the point, you know, we you really can't discuss it with the school administration or teachers. They just kind of either... They tell you it's all in your head. You're imagining it. You're the only one who's mentioned it. Uh, we're not doing it, uh, even though you know you, you know they're doing it, and it's quite evident in materials and things that your children are coming home with. But I we came to the conclusion after a couple of years that we had to just get our kids out. And after working in you know the last few school board elections and seeing how much worse it's gotten with some of my neighbors' children. Uh, I'm really coming to conclusion. I'm not sure the whole system can be salvaged at least soon enough to save, for lack of a better word, the children or the, the children now that are in the system. Uh, maybe yeah. it's well, don't we you, can Steve, turn it around. But if I had a anyone that I know with a child in the you know elementary yeah. or middle school, I we talk yeah. about it. I advise them to get their kids out. Because yeah, you know, Steve, I'm, I'm a so product pervasive. of my, myself, my wife, all three of my kids uh, went to Lindbergh Public Schools. My uh, my okay. dad taught there for 40 yep. years. I don't know what's going on in Lindbergh, but I can tell you. It's bad. It's, I, I almost yeah, can't. I can't hold the. Yeah, I can't hold the I can't hold the administrators or the teachers that are that are buying into this almost accountable anymore. You know why? It's a it's a cultural psychosis. They don't even know. They don't even know that the religion that they are worshiping at the altar of, it's been so indoctrinated into them. And and sadly, if they do know, and they're just not courageous enough to fight it because they're worried about their jobs, shame, shame, shame on them. Yeah. But well, I think yeah, for the most true. part, I agree with you. They're you indoctrinated. Know, that's what they're. Yeah, a lot of these, that's what uh, they're taught in the universities. That's what they're yeah, taught these, in their departments of education. Exactly, yeah, and it goes back to the 30s and 40s with the, uh, basically the days of John Dewey, and then later on the, uh, yep. the Frankfurt School people coming in, taking over Columbia University School of Education, and they just immediately started in. Yep. So we're two or three, well, four generations into this. It's not a new right, thing. Right. No, well, we so. can make a difference. Thanks for the call, Steve. Really appreciate okay. it. We can make a difference by... Electing legislators who will take our money, give it back to us, and let us educate our children how we want. It's not complicated. And for all of you Republican legislators and wannabe legislators, I'm warning you, whether you're so-called moderate, whether you're so-called, you know, conservative caucus, whatever you are in Missouri State Legislature. Unless you guys get some free education choice and the dollar following the scholar this next session, I'm afraid all of you might be thrown out and primaried in the next election. You have to get to where Arizona, where Iowa, where Florida, you've got to give us our money back and let us spend it where we want on the education of our children. Period. And if you if you if you if you if you claim to be conservative and you're in the room but you're fighting one another, you know what we did when our kids were young and we walked into a room and they're all fighting and we don't know who started the fight. All of them got grounded. I'm just warning you guys. 
That should be number one, two, three, four, five through 10 on your list of things to get done this next legislation, uh, next session. All right. Well, that said, there, I said it. Joe Biden's back to his creepy whisper. Take a listen to this. It's just a, it's just, it's so a shame. It's hard to listen to. Go the ahead. new economic vision has been labeled by those in the Wall Street Journal and the London Economist and some of the more conservative press as Bidenomics. Well, they didn't mean it as a compliment at first. But now they're getting it. Ooh, wow. Frightening stuff. He's back to his creepy whisper. Okay. And then KJP is trying to defend his cognitive decline. Take a listen to this one. It's 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 like a it's like a clown show up there, guys. How does the president plan to convince the American people over the next year that 80 is not too old for someone who's running for re-election? 80 is the new 40. Didn't you hear? Um, but look, it is. It, it, let's it, let's. It, you know, I get asked this question about once a week, maybe twice a week. I don't know. I've lost track. Um, this is a president. If you think about it, um, in 2019. He got the same criticism. In 2020, he got the same criticism. In 2022, he got the same criticism. And every time, he beats the naysayers. All right, let's flip. Let's skip to 15 here. We're going to wrap the show with something that you Democrats, Schumer, Biden, Pelosi, all of you people, listen to this. The people are mad. Here's a New York City guy running for city council after AOC and Jerry Nadler, and they all stood up there saying, we just need more help for these illegal immigrants that are invading our city. Listen to the anger. This is the voice of the American people, you Democrats, and we're going to speak come this next election. Listen. I will say, too, we're live on air, so, uh, but, you know, what do you think about what the mayor's doing and what should the president in the White House be doing? This is up to us. This is up to each and every one of us to stand up. Nobody's coming here for us. Right. We're here for ourselves. Yep. If we don't get up and fight for our city, nobody's coming for us. They're coming to destroy it. The reason why they're here is to steal our votes. Right. They're not, we're not going to be able to live there stealing our votes, our kids' future, my birthright. Our United States is great city that I refuse to leave. Do you understand? Nobody's coming for us. These elected officials aren't even elected. They're using absentee ballots. They're being selected. What did you think that AOC, um, you know, when she came out and other members of Congress and they had this press conference, what did you think about their comments? They will never be allowed to walk down the streets again. They have destroyed our city and New York, especially Queens, is woken up. Harris Faulkner cut him off. Shame on her. I love Harris, but the people are speaking. Our voices must be heard. We're on the precipice. Let's bring it back. Thanks for being with me. We'll see you next week, folks.